Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. And it's a, it's, it's a sad day because today most people around the world woke up to the news of the Taliban taking over the capital of Afghanistan, Kabul sitting in the presidential palace. There's video, there's so many videos out right now showing what the Taliban is doing that it's hard to even keep track of them. There are videos, of course, of the, the chaos that is taking place at the airport where people are running out in front of moving planes to keep them from leaving without them. I just saw an, a video where people were falling from planes because they were trying to hide inside of the plane as the plane took off and then they fell out in midair. I've seen videos of just thousands and thousands of US supplied weapons that have now been captured by the Taliban. Vehicles, a lot of really high tech equipment that is now in the hands of the Taliban. The Taliban has now taken over Afghanistan and Christians are once again the primary targets. But there's more to this story that you're not being told. A lot more. The return of the Taliban, I believe, was inevitable. And I want to share why in this podcast. A lot of people feel that it wasn't inevitable. I mean, after 20 years of the U.S. and international military forces, I mean, we're talking about some of the best militaries in the world. The U.K., Canada, the U.S. You had some of the best militaries in the world that were there. You had the Germans, the Dutch, the Swedes, the Australians, all of them providing some sort of support. And they've been doing it for about 20 years. We're coming up on the uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11. And these international military forces have been fighting, dying, bleeding, training, building, investing. And when I say investing, I'm saying that nations around the world invested billions of dollars into Afghanistan. And it would seem that with all of the sacrifice for two decades from uh, military members from around the world that gave their blood, sweat, tears, life, and limb to be able to help the Afghanis, that the, Afghan the Afghanistan government would at least be able to stand on their own for a few years. I mean, that was the promise of the U.S. president only a couple weeks ago when he was confronted in a news conference he said that he guaranteed that there would not be a takeover of afghanistan and there was let me let me just play the beginning of a file 
that is posted by White House or WH.gov. This is by the by the White House. So this is President Biden in a um, press conference, and he he snaps a little bit. He gets a little testy with the White House press um, group. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it? Can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They did not. They didn't. Did not reach that conclusion. What is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. The question is, will they generate the kind of cohesion to do it? It's not a question of whether they have the capacity. They have the capacity. They have the forces. They have the equipment. The question is, will they do it? And I want to make clear what I made clear to Ghani, that we are not going to walk away and not sustain their ability to maintain that force. We are. We're going to also work to make sure we help them in terms of everything from food necessities and other things in, in, in the region. That was only a couple weeks ago. Uh, within a matter of days, everything that he just said there is didn't turn out to be true at all. I mean, the U.S. It pulled out and the Taliban went through in, in such a short time that people have been taken off guard. That's why airports are being flooded with not just people that want to be refugees, but a lot of foreigners who have been working there for aid purposes, for military purposes, for consulting purposes, are trying to get out of Dodge. And the, the, the Taliban forces have been just cutting through these Afghan government forces like they're not even standing there. And so the question is, how is it that the Afghan government only lasted for a few days, for a couple of weeks? Why after so much time, so much blood, so much money, that has been invested and given to the Afghani government, did the Taliban march through city after city with such astonishing ease that diplomats and foreign aid workers have been cut off guard and are trying to get any flight leaving out of the country? How is it that people were caught off guard so much that the airport is flooded with refugees who are begging planes not to leave without them? Because they know if they stay, they are going to be in a living hell. Kabul right now, the airport, is a tragic replay of the fall of Saigon. Everybody is making that comparison because it is an adequate comparison. Those that don't make it on those flights out are doomed to life in hell, which is what Saigon was after the communists took over. We are seeing something that I believe could have already been foretold. The Taliban takeover in Afghanistan has been a surprise to many people, but it should not be. The return of the Taliban was inevitable, and I want to tell you why. As a lot of people listen to this podcast, I think that there's a lot of things that we can point to that went wrong. You always can point to the person to blame 
and, and why things went wrong. It's easy in hindsight. Many people today, this morning, are waking up, especially here in America, are blaming President Biden for pulling out troops as a reason for the Taliban takeover. President Biden right now is on vacation at Camp David, but actually he's hiding in a bunker. No matter whether you support him or you don't support him, you, you have to admit that what's happening right now is that President Biden is trying to stay out of the news light until something else takes the headlines. He's praying for anything. This was his first big foreign policy decision, and it could be one of the worst decisions ever made in presidential history. And a lot of people will say, well, this wouldn't have happened under President Trump. But actually, President Trump, the predecessor to the current president of the United States, demanded that all troops be pulled out of Afghanistan and the U.S. Embassy be shut down, the very thing that Biden just did. His military advisors, though, were able to talk him out of it. This is very well documented. I put links to this on our website. If you go to our website, I put the links to the fact that Donald Trump did demand that all the troops be pulled out. He did demand that the U.S. Embassy be shut down. He did uh, make a compromise with the Taliban. And that's what Biden followed through with. But I don't believe it, what we see here was the result of President Biden. I do think some things have gone bad. I do think that he made some very bad policy decisions, but I'm not going, I'm not the one that can really make that. I don't have the information that President Biden has. But I think this is the problems are much bigger than Biden. He was he he was put into a losing situation from the very beginning anyway. I don't think it was Trump's fault. Biden is saying it's Trump's fault. Trump is saying that it's Biden, Biden's fault. But if it wasn't President Biden's fault for pulling out the troops, and it's not President Trump's fault for making the original claim to want to pull out all troops and shut down the embassy and make a deal with the Taliban, then why did we see the Taliban take over Afghanistan with such ease? Well, maybe it's because uh, the top military leadership in Afghanistan are now all gone. I mean, how can a nation fight against the Taliban when all of the top Afghani military leaders, planners, translators, strategists, and fighters are being given refugee status in Europe and America? I mean, we saw the same thing in Iraq and Syria. Of course, ISIS walked through like there was no problem. All of the males were fleeing to Europe. They were leaving women and children behind. Guys showing up in Sweden, in the UK, in Canada, saying, yeah, I would like to apply refugee for refugee status for my wife and children because they're living in a war zone. And the question is, dude, why aren't you there? Why didn't you send your women and children out of the war zone and you stay and fight for your home, fight for your country, fight for your land? Fight for your family. Why were you the first to leave? There are a lot of military individuals that had been allies with the US military, the German military, the Swedish military. They were translators. They were individuals that gave out information about the enemy when these search and destroy teams were sent out looking for the different groups of Taliban fighters. <clears throat> these guys are targets number, target number one. 
So America, Canada, uh, especially Germany right now is talking about at least 10,000 Afghanis that they're giving special visas to because these are individuals that put their life on the line to save American soldiers, Canadian soldiers, Swedish soldiers, German soldiers. I get it. The, these guys are going to be target number one of the Taliban, so they know that they have a price on their scalp and they're wanting to get out. But the challenge is, is when you take all of the top fighters that have experience of fighting together with the US military, with the German military, with the Swedish military, with the world's elite military, they're the ones with the experience. They're the ones with the know-how. They're the ones that know how to use these weapons that the Taliban just captured. When they leave, who's going to lead the rest of the men, the rest of the country, the farmers, the, the everyday people who do want to protect their land, who don't want their wives to be uh, subjected to Sharia law, that doesn't want their little girls to be sold off into marriage at the age of 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 to some Taliban leader, some tribal leader that, that has been loyal to the Taliban. When all of these top military strategists and fighters leave for Europe and America, what then? Who's going to be left to defend the country? We got we we got we we evacuated all of the top fighters. Of course the Taliban can just march right on through. There's no one to really give them a resistance. Can you imagine all of the top militaries that were left in Afghanistan said, well, we are here to support and train the locals. And they did a great job, but the people that they've trained have now been shipped out of the country, leaving the nation exposed. Well, if it wasn't Trump and it wasn't Biden and it wasn't the foreign policy of the United States, and it wasn't the people, because I don't believe that these top military leaders fleeing from Afghanistan is, is the source, the main source of the problem of why the Taliban took over. And if it's not them, if it's not those guys leaving, if it's not Trump, if it's not Biden, then who do we blame? Why is it that the Taliban took over so quickly? Well, I did post a news article on Back to Jerusalem a couple weeks ago that China hosted Taliban leaders. Co-founder of the Taliban was hosted in Tianjin, the ancient city of China, where the Chinese, arguably one of the most powerful nations in the world today, with the second biggest economy, one of the biggest militaries, and one of the most influential political dynasties right now, they just gave their blessing, their backing to the Taliban when they hosted them a couple weeks ago in, this, in the ancient city of Tianjin, the ancient capital. And they signaled their support for the Taliban if the Taliban gained control. This, no, without a doubt, this made the Taliban brave. China knows that they need an ally against the Muslim extremists in Xinjiang, which is a province in Western China that sets on the border of Afghanistan. China knew that if they could isolate the Muslims in China, 
gain the support of the Taliban by throwing their support behind the Taliban, then they can at least eliminate one of their problems in Western China. And the Taliban, who has Muslim brothers and sisters just across the border in China that is basically suffering in gulags right now, that have been put in concentration camps, and that's without an exaggeration. Some estimates are more than a million Muslim Xinjiang Uyghurs, which is a minority group in China, has been sent to re-education camps where all of their belongings are stripped of them and they are fed propaganda from morning until night. Many of them don't leave alive. The Taliban's like, yep, we are on the side of China, a communist nation, a nation that embraces no religion at all, partnering together with the most extreme religious group in the world. We continue to see this in the West, where people that embrace the idea of no religion, embrace the idea of uh, aggressive homosexual agendas, that embrace the idea of everything that is against Islam partnering together with Islam to come against Christians. We're seeing this in the West, in Europe and America. And China needs more than just an ally against the Muslims in Xinjiang province. You know, Afghanistan is wealthy with resources, resources that China needs. Afghanistan's poor because they're not using those resources because they've lived under an Islamic regime for so many years. But China has plans with their One Belt, One Road initiative. If you're not familiar with the One Belt, One Road initiative, I've talked about it several times. You can go back into the archive of podcasts that I've done in the past, and there you'll find so many other podcasts that I've shared about the One Belt, One Road initiative being the largest political financial initiative of any government in the world today where China's connecting with all of the nations on her border, like Afghanistan, all the way back to Jerusalem, building up relationship through economy. And with the One Belt, One Road initiative, China's building roads, railroads, cell phone towers, businesses, and they're doing investment across the board. They've been doing a lot of investment in Pakistan, and as a payment for those investments, oftentimes China is securing natural resources of the nation. And Afghanistan has a lot of natural resources. Do you think that the Taliban did not feel emboldened when they were given the red carpet treatment by China just a couple weeks ago? Where the Taliban who's been running and hiding for so long is now treated as an equal in China, one of the most powerful economies, one of the most powerful militaries, and having the leaders of China promise a future of investments. Do you think that did not embolden the Taliban and, and, and move them to take over cities with a lot more zeal than what they would have if they thought China was against them? I believe so. But I do not believe that that's the real reason of why the Taliban's return was inevitable. The real reason I believe that the Taliban's return was inevitable 
is a reason that no one is talking about. And the reason they're not talking about it is because it has to do with Islam. The politically incorrect conversation that needs to be had cannot broach the subject of Islam. And because we haven't had that conversation, we haven't talked about Islam in Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan have been doomed from the beginning. The cold, hard truth about Afghanistan is that the West sent hundreds of thousands of troops, spent billions of dollars building schools, roads, and a market economy, attempted to bring equality to the sexes, implemented a working democracy without ever asking one simple question. And that question is, how can we help the Christians that are being persecuted in Afghanistan? When the Western-backed Afghani government persecuted Christians, Christians from Western countries looked the other way. When Christians were arrested in Afghanistan, beaten and killed by the newly established laws in the very nation that the West was supporting, Afghanistan, it was greatly ignored. When normal, everyday Afghanis saw American troops, many of them celebrated because they thought with these Western troops, we're going to finally have freedom. We're going to finally be able to have all of the things that we never had under the Taliban. And what is one of the things that the Taliban restricted for everybody? The Bible. There were many Afghanis in Afghanistan after the fall of the Taliban in 2001 that believed that there would be freedom of religion. And this Bible, this book that they had been, that they'd been seeking after for so long, this secret God that they haven't been able to hear about, this, this, this God of the foreigners, this God of the Westerners, this, this God of the people that come from free countries, the, 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 the land of Coca-Cola and McDonald's and shopping malls. Why do they have all the freedoms? What if it has to do with their God? How can I learn about their God? How can I learn about the God that has given them so many freedoms? How can I learn about the God that has given them such a blessed life? How can I learn about the God that allows people to send their children to school without being bombed, without the worries of their home being bombed, without the worries of driving to work and not coming home because you drove over a landmine, without the worries of your wife going to the, to the store and somehow messing up her, her burqa and getting publicly spanked in the streets. How can I learn about the God that has given so many people so many blessings that we don't have right here in Afghanistan? Now, with the coming of these soldiers from these free nations, maybe we will be able to learn about their God. but that didn't happen. Do you know there were local Afghanis that were begging troops, American troops, to give them a Bible? And when the, the troops began to respond just to the need, because they were doing other things, they, the troops wanted to be seen as, as li liberators. 
Individuals who were bringing liberty and freedom from the, the, the tyranny of the Taliban. That's how they wanted to be viewed. And so when they had locals that were asking them, can I taste your pizza? Can I taste your MRE? Can I have some candy? Could you build us a school? Could you help us make roads? Could you help provide security for my shop as we get our business up and going? Those same Afghanis were also saying, could you share with me about your God? There are many U.S. troops that were writing back to their home churches saying, can you please send us Bibles? Because locals are asking for Bibles. Of course they were. This was the God that they had been restricted of hearing about. This was the God that they could not learn about in their Quran. This was the God that they would be punished if they learned anything about him in open and the Taliban found out about it. But now, with these liberators, they could finally learn about God. And when the U.S. government found out that soldiers were providing Bibles to those that were asking, do you know what they did? Do you think they told the soldiers to stop? Nope. Do you, do you think that they told the soldiers, please send the Bibles back to the churches? Nope. The U.S. government ordered the military to gather up all of the Bibles, put them in a pile like they do in China, and set them on fire. Burn them. Can you imagine the U.S. government ordering the, the burning of a mass number of, of the Quran? Where was the outcry? Where was the anger? Where was the disappointment? The people of Afghanistan are begging for freedom. And the very thing that gave us freedom in America that based on the very book, the very writings, I mean, from the very beginning, that all men are created equal. This idea is not a secular one. It is one that is deeply rooted in the Bible. This idea that we are created and there is a creator and that's why we are equal. That very book that is the bedrock of free societies around the world, and it doesn't matter if it's in Asia, Europe, or the Americas, this very book, this document, that tells the people that are hungry for freedom how to obtain freedom was put into a pile and burned. Do you think for one minute that that doesn't have anything to do with what is happening right now in Afghanistan? There is no way that the U.S. military should have been ordered to burn the Bibles. There is no reason on God's green earth why people should not have been able to freely share about the good news of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan. But the truth is, the truth that no one wants to talk about is that Afghanistan was backed by the West in their persecution against Christians. And guys, I'm not just talking about the Bible. I'm only using that as an example. The Western world attempted to build a democracy, create equal opportunities for women, establish modern education, create a working market economy, 
which are all good things, but they miss the one essential ingredient that you need for freedom in a society. And that is allowing the freedom of Christians. They did all these other good things. Building a democracy is not a bad thing. Creating equal opportunities for women is not a bad thing. Establishing modern education for children. These are good things. Creating a working market economy, in my mind, is a very good thing. But while allowing persecution of Christians in Afghanistan, you're working against your own efforts. And we're not talking about Afghanistan was, was ruined because of morons like the, was sitting in Washington, D.C. right now or sitting in, in London. No. Guys, I would propose to you that the best minds in the world put together the very best plans that could be imagined for Afghanistan. The most expensive consultants in the world today were hired to lay out the most well thought out initiatives. The best military in the world was sent in and executed their role without flaw. Let me emphasize that because some of the most amazing and selfless military heroes in history served in Afghanistan. And I've had the privilege of knowing some of those fine men and women because the military is my background. The military, the military that was sent by the West, they won every single battle that they were asked to fight. And they selflessly offered their expertise to the Afghani military. And they did so with professionalism and mercy. Do you know that the U.S. military could have easily walked in, just gone door to door and execute? The Taliban is only alive today because the U.S. military allowed them to be alive because that they believed was the, human, the humanitarian thing to do. They could have actually, without even shedding blood, just dropped an atom bomb and destroyed everybody within a huge radius and gotten rid of their problem. It would have been frowned upon for a little bit of time, but the problem would have been eliminated. There would have probably been a lot less death than what we see right now taking place. Those men and women that went there and served, they served with dignity. They served with honor. They served without being questioned as one of the greatest groups of heroes maybe in recent history. Many fine soldiers also gave the ultimate price so that the Afghan people could have a chance at freedom. Many of those soldiers gave their life and limb so that Afghanistan people could be free. No expense was spared. The international community, they spent billions of dollars. Money came in from every direction to make the situation in Afghanistan better. But in the end, what was needed what was needed the most could not be bought. It could not be fought for. It could not be won on the military field. It could not be planned by the best consultants. It could not be anticipated by the world's best, most well-intentioned politicians. 
Afghanistan couldn't be forced to change from the outside. You couldn't force democracy on Afghanistan. You can't force a market economy on Afghanistan. You can't force the, the equal treatment of women on, on Afghanistan. You can't force a good education on Afghanistan. It could only be transformed from the inside with the gospel. And guys, the gospel was blocked. Many government officials from both Europe and America, they claimed that, well, religion can't be forced upon the Afghanistan people. But that's a straw man argument. That's a fake argument. It's a disingenuous argument because no one ever appealed for forcing the Afghanistan people to become Christians. Oh, well, if you carry a Bible and a gun, people just assume that if you don't read the Bible, you're going to shoot them with the gun. No, the people were asking for the Bible. They were asking for the good news. And the U.S. government and many other governments in the West blocked it. In the history of the good news spreading around the world, it has been taught, at least from the history that I have studied and I have shared, that the gospel message can only be chosen as a matter of free will. And it can never, the gospel can never come into your life as a result of force. Interestingly enough, though, the same government officials that protested the idea of spreading your religion through force just so happened to embrace the idea with zero problem when they forcefully promoted a rainbow flag to be flying high, loud, and proud over the Kabul embassy last month to promote a very aggressive homosexual agenda, that was not a problem. That is considered to be sharing good values. You think the people of Afghanistan were asking for that? No. They were asking for the gospel and they were rejected. They weren't asking for the homosexual agenda and it's being shoved down their throats. That contributed to the takeover of the Taliban. The hearts of the Afghanistan people could not be forced to change from the outside in, but instead they were open for a transformation from the inside out and they were denied. The gospel message was denied by the leadership, by the consultants, and by the powers that be in Afghanistan. The return of the Taliban was inevitable because the Afghani interim government that was supported by the West ultimately believed in the same ideas taught by the Taliban. I'm going to say that again. The return of the Taliban was inevitable because the Afghani interim government that was supported by the West ultimately believed in the same ideas taught by the Taliban, taught in the Quran. Those ideas taught in the Quran restrict freedom of religion. This is the conversation that nobody wants to have. Nobody in government, nobody in the news. The Quran that restricts the freedom of religion, that persecutes Christians and openly attacks those that follow Jesus. In 2020, Back to Jerusalem launched an operation called Operation Black Trumpet. That operation of Black Trumpet was specifically launched to provide electronic Bibles in Afghanistan. Why? 
because the Afghanistan police were stopping people that they suspected of being Christians. And they searched their phones, they searched their laptops, they searched their electronics to find any Bible or any sign of Christian teaching materials. Guys, that's not the Taliban that I'm talking about. We launched Operation Black Trumpet under the authority of the Afghanistan government. We, we were being persecuted. Our friends were being persecuted by the Afghani government that was being supported by the West. Operation Black Trumpet was not launched because of the persecution from the Taliban. It was launched because of the persecution experienced by the Afghanistan government that was backed by America, backed by Europe, backed by Australia. The cold, hard fact that no one is talking about is that democracy does not bring freedom. Free markets and capitalism do not bring freedom. Better education does not bring freedom. Education for women does not bring freedom. All the money in this freaking world cannot bring freedom. The best fighters in the world, and I know some of them, to protect you will not bring you freedom. And the best plans in the world for freedom does not bring freedom. I want to say that again. The best plans for freedom, the best plans in the world, do not bring freedom. Freedom can only be realized when the one who gives freedom is recognized. There can be no freedom when the one who gives freedom is rejected and deemed illegal. We have all heard the Bible scripture where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So how, tell me, how you think you can be free and help a nation be free when the Spirit of the Lord, the very thing that gives freedom, has been openly deemed as illegal. The builders of the world in Afghanistan tried to build a free and open nation, but they failed because the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I want to end with this. The real reason why the Taliban has come back to power is because the very thing that could have given the, the Afghanis freedom was rejected was illegal, was banned. And if you look at the Bible and you open it up to the very center chapter, Psalms 118, that probably explains it better than any other chapter in the Bible. This is the dead center of the Bible. If you look at chapter 117, that is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Chapter 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. 118 is right in the middle. There are 594 chapters in the Bible before Psalms 118. And there are 594 chapters after chapter 118 of Psalms. It's right in the middle. There are 1,118 verses in the Bible after 118, there are 1,118 verses in the Bible before chapter 118. Chapter 118 of the Bible 
is right in the middle. The very dead center of the Bible is 118 verse 8. And it says this, and I believe this is the central theme of the Bible, the central theme of life, and the central theme of why Afghanistan was a failure. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. The very ingredient that you needed for the recipe of freedom was never added. In fact, it was banned. Whenever you hear people marching in the streets talking about social justice, be very wary of them. Because when people cry out for equality, when people cry out for justice, when people cry out for righteousness, and they remove Christ, they remove the very ingredient that is needed for that freedom. Today, I ask you to please join me as we pray for the people of Afghanistan, as we continue to work together with the underground church in Afghanistan, and as we continue to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan. Thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. I pray that it was a blessing for you. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. God bless.